Hey, good morning, everyone. I'm so thankful for the goodness of God. Let me ask you a question this morning. Can God still be good even when our lives aren't good? Are you with me, church, this morning? I hope you are, because that's what we're going to be talking about for the next half an hour. And we're going to be looking at God's provision in the desert season of our lives. And, And I believe that we cannot grow truly where God wants us to grow unless we've experienced some desert time or some desert season in our life. And it's not that God doesn't care or God's not listening or that the character of God changes. It's just that God allows these seasons to happen in our lives so that we can know him in a way that we could never know him otherwise. And as we've been going through this deep dive into the book of Ruth, we're going to discover today that in this season of Ruth's life and her mother-in-law, Naomi, they are going to experience God's provision in the midst of a desert. When everything seemed hopeless, when there seems like there was no other way to turn, they are going to discover the provisions of God in a season of their life that seemed like there was no, no provisions. Now, I don't know about you. I've, I've had the um, privilege of traveling with my family to the Southwest. If you've ever been to the Southwest, specifically, you know, the Phoenix, Arizona area, it is a desert. It is, there's nothing there. I mean, it's just, we were there one time during a windstorm and they call it a dust storm. And there's like eight feet of dust on the car. I mean, it, you couldn't see anything. It was crazy. And it's so different from the northeast compared to the southwest. The northeast, living in Rochester, we know that it either rains or snows 362 days a year, right? We get about three days off. Um, we know what that's like. And it's green here. And if people visit from other places, they're like, it's just so, it's so green here. Yes, because it rains all the time, right? But, but we love it. And we're tough. We're tough, tough. We're tough. We are Wayne County tough, right? So, um, but if you live, if you live in the desert, you understand there are no provisions there in the desert. There's no water. There's very, very little in the way of provisions. And I want to ask you a question right off the bat this morning. How can we see God's provisions when we walk in a desert? When we're walking in that season where it seems like God is not there, he's not hearing my prayers. And so as we, we're going through the book of Ruth, we need to understand this Old Testament book. There was a very difficult time. It was during the times of judges where God would raise up these judges or these leaders to help deliver Israel because um, they just weren't serving God. It was, they were very disorganized politically and, um, and they had no real leader. And this is kind of the, the climate around the book of Ruth. And what we've discovered in the first book of Ruth is how bleak her life was. She lost her husband and here she is with her mother-in-law, Naomi, who, who loses her husband. And so Naomi had two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. They both lose their husbands. So basically Naomi is destitute. She has no husband. Her two sons have died. There's no grandchildren. There's, there's nothing. And so they're wondering, what do we do? And so what we learned last week is that um, Naomi is going to go back to her hometown in Bethlehem in Israel. And they moved there years earlier, and that's where uh, Naomi's two sons found these Moabite women who were not Israelites. And so they're going to naturally probably just go back to their hometown and go back to their country and their people. But Ruth said no. Ruth said, Naomi, I'm going to follow you. Where you go, I will go. 
I'm going to follow your God. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And she shows this tremendous amount of faith to follow Naomi. And Naomi said, listen, if you're going to follow me, there, there's nothing at the end of this road. I, I'm not promised. In fact, she discouraged her to not follow her back to Bethlehem. She, go, she said, listen, go back to your mother's house. Go back, find a husband there, have children there. I, this road is just, has no prospects. Don't follow me. And what we discovered is that, is that Ruth clung to Naomi. She clung on to her. She wouldn't let go. She was persistent. And we saw her faith, her faith to trust the God of Naomi when there seemed to be nothing to trust. There was no prospects. And of course, we tied that with our relationship with Jesus, that we bring nothing to the table when we come to Christ. It's simply by his grace and his mercy. There's nothing in me that, that merited or could ever receive God's love. It was simply out of his grace and his mercy that he sent his son, Jesus. Aren't you glad for that? Because, man, if we look at our lives, our lives are messy. We are just sinners, aren't we? We're just sinners. We are sinners. But we're saved by that wonderful grace. And in spite of my sin, Jesus came to give his life for you and I and to receive our brokenness that was left by sin and to say, I want to renew you. And so for Ruth, she wants to follow the God of her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so she's going back to her hometown and um, with no hope and no prospects. And as you can tell, uh, Naomi is discouraged. She feels like, is God even with me? Have you, have you ever felt that way in your life? Like, God, what is your will here? I, I don't get it. Because if I were to do this, I would have done it this way. Why are you doing it this way? And, and this is where this tremendous amount of faith must come into our walk with God, where we say, God, are you, are you really in control? Am I really allowing you to be in control of my life? Or am I just saying that? Because we're going to really know if God is in control when we're walking through the desert. When we're walking through those seasons of life that make no sense, we're going to really understand, God, are you really, really in control of my life? Or am I just saying that? And I think God wants us to experience his love and the depths of his love like no other. And I believe he does that many times when we're walking through those seasons of drought. When we feel like we're in the desert. And so what Naomi does is she comes, she, she comes back home, but she's not excited about coming home. Now, that's unusual. I, I remember as a college student, you know, I went to school in Florida, lived, in, lived here in Rochester, and, and when I would come home, it'd be like, it was exciting, right? You get to sleep in your own bed. How many of you have gone away for a while on vacation and you can't wait to get into your own bed, right? Come on, church, are you with me this morning? You can't, you can't, can't wait to just jump in. You're like, ah, my own bed. Right? I couldn't wait to get home. My parents, my mom would say, what do you want to eat? We'll cook anything. I said, all right, I want steak, right? I want some nice potatoes, right? And it was just nice to come home. Well, this isn't the case for Naomi. She's not excited because she knows that her life is not what she thought it would be. And I want to read this in, in, in Ruth chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verse 19. And so here they are. Orpah's gone back to her God and her people, but Ruth stayed with her mother-in-law. And she goes back, and here she is a Moabite going to 
Israel, and she knows she's probably not going to be received well because the Moabites are actually enemies of Israel. So we don't know what's going to happen here. But let's see what happens. Verse 19, So the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman, the, the woman explained, Can this be Naomi? They know who she is. They're like, She left so long ago. Now she's back. Could this be Naomi? And listen to what Naomi says to those she encounters. She says, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty, and I want you to put an asterisk by that, she calls God Almighty. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna dig into that in just a minute, because that's so good. I don't want to skip the scripture here, because she does this on purpose. She does this on purpose. She goes, because the Almighty has made my life bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite. Notice how, once again, called her a Moabite. She wasn't an Israelite. Her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. As the barley harvest was beginning. There we see the provision of God. I'm not going to preach next, next week's sermon, but you've got to come next week because we're going to check that out in chapter 2. So here, amen to God's word. Amen to God's word. So Naomi feels she has nothing, nothing to look forward to. Her life feels empty. And she's just being raw. Let's be honest. We're, we've, it's okay to be raw with God. She feels like God is against her. When life doesn't go our way, we can feel just like Naomi. Can we, can we, can we agree? Don't, don't get on your spiritual high horse here, right? right? We, we can agree with them when things aren't going right. We can feel the same way. And here's what it means. Naomi's name means pleasant, but she tells everyone to call her Mara, which means bitter. It means bitter. She goes, I'm bitter. She's being raw. And we know that life can beat us up. We know life can beat us up. Things don't go our way. And can we all admit that sometimes life just stinks? Can I get, can I get an amen to that? All in favor said aye, right? We can all admit that life, and, and we can become bitter. And we can become bitter because of our past experiences or something that has happened to us. Maybe something that, that uh, we didn't cause, but something that happened to us. We can, we can have a bad church experience. Maybe you had a bad church experience in the past and you've become bitter. Maybe another Christian let you down and you had this expectation uh, that, uh, of, of how things should go in church or how Christians should act and somebody let you down and then you became bitter or cynical because of that. See, when things change, we can become bitter. Why do things have to change? Why does this have to change? And there are some things that just don't make sense. And so here you have Naomi who's lost everything, lost her husband, lost her sons, and so she's bitter. Call me Mara. Call me Mara. I, I'm, I'm bitter. I feel like all these things have been taken away. She's just being raw with her feelings. And there are some things that just don't seem fair. Like, God, this just isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? Have you ever looked over the fence into your neighbor's yard? I'm just saying symbolically, right? Have you ever peered over and you're like, what's going on over there? 
they look like they have it all together, right? Man, how do they have time to do all that gardening? Their garden looks perfect, and my garden has so many weeds. Why are they? You know, I, I, I looked on social media, and all their kids are wonderful. They're all going to Ivy League schools. What's going on? I'm looking at my life, and, well, you know, it's a train wreck. It just compared to their life, right? Have you ever done that, and you compared your life? Can I just be honest with you? What everybody posts on social media is not necessarily true what's going on behind the curtain. Can we just... Amen. I hope that makes you feel a little better. I wish there was just one day where we just posted like what really is going on in our lives, right? Wouldn't that be... Yeah, amen. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's start a movement. Here's what's really going on in my life. You know, they actually have these pictures on Instagram that show Instagram and then reality. So they'll be like at this beautiful waterfall and it's been all cropped and, you know, all photoshopped and everything. And then they show you the reality. There's like a hundred people there. The water's dirty. There's trash in it, right? Let's all be honest, right? Let's all be honest. There are, there are things in our lives that, that every single one of us battle with. We all battle with it. And, and there are times that we are just like Naomi where we can become bitter. And she's just being raw with her feelings. But here's what I want you to see. I don't want you to get down on Naomi right now. I don't want you to judge her. Because it's easy to say, well, she's just giving up on God. No, she's being raw with her feelings. So let's give Naomi a break here. Let's see what's going on because the scriptures give us some insight to what's really going on in Naomi's heart. And here's how we know that. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? How do you know what's going on in her heart? Well, even though she's hurting, she hasn't given up on God. How do I know that? How do I know that? How do I know that? She's hurting. She's truthful about her feelings, which we all should be. But I want you to see something. In verse 20, she addresses God as almighty. And in the Hebrew language, that word is pronounced El Shaddai. So she addresses him as El Shaddai, God Almighty. The name El Shaddai means God Almighty. Now, why would she say that in the midst of her bitterness? We think, well, she's walking away from God. She's deconstructing. No, she's not. She's not. She's just being raw with her feelings. Even though she's gone through the loss and heartache and feels like she comes to Bethlehem with nothing, she still addresses God as El Shaddai. See, he's still almighty in her pain. He's still almighty in her disappointment. He's still almighty in her hurt. And what she could do is she could could trust her bitterness and her pain to El Shaddai. So think of the situation for just a second that faced Naomi. She's left Bethlehem full, and she says, now I return empty. But the one thing that is different about Naomi's faith is she didn't give up on God. She didn't give up on El Shaddai. God had allowed these things to happen in Naomi's life. And this is the tension. So let, let's wrestle within the tension. What do we do? We feel like our lives aren't going the way we want to. When we feel like we're empty, like she's feeling right now, she feels like she's empty. She feels like everything's out of her life. But we have to understand one thing. Did God give up on Naomi. No. Did he stop loving her? No. 
Here's why. Because when she entered Bethlehem, the barley season, the barley harvest had just begun. God said, I'm going to provide for your needs. You got to come next week. Okay, you got to come next week because we're going to talk about that next week. Here's what I want you to understand. God is still good. God is still good even when we don't feel it or see it in our lives. God is still God Almighty. I, I, like, I, I love how the Apostle Paul wrestles with this tension for us. He, he gives us a clear understanding of this dilemma of how can God still be good when my life stinks? How can God still be good when I feel bitter? How can God still be good when I'm hurting, when I feel like things have not gone my way? Many of us know this verse, Romans 8, 28, but, but let's not take it out of context here. Let's understand what Paul is saying here. This is, we know that for those that love God, all things work together for what? For good. For good. Ultimately, for God's good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, here's what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying the bad things that we're going through are actually good. No, the bad things that we go through are bad. Let's just call it. They're bad. What, 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 what Naomi's, Naomi's going through is bad. It's not good. Let's not call, oh, it's really good, and I feel good, and I'm going to fake it and praise the Lord, right? No, it's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. It's bad. But here's the thing I want you to see. Here's what Paul's saying. God is not fooling us by saying bad things are really good. What Paul is saying is God will redeem even the bad things that happen in our lives. Now, now, follow me here. Don't, don't say, okay, God, then redeem this thing tomorrow. Because it may not be tomorrow. It may not be next week. It may not be next month. It may not be next year. It might be, but it might not be. But I do know one thing. He ultimately redeems us through through our anticipation of heaven. Listen, I want you to look at, look at the Bible as two bookends, right? You got the beginning, everything was good, right? It was good. And then what happened? What did man do? Messed it all up. Sin came in. God puts in place from the beginning of time a redeemer to redeem those things that are broken. Sends his son Jesus to redeem us. Perfect. Son of God, who is God, came to redeem all things, to redeem us, redeem our brokenness that was left by sin. So we get a little glimpse of what God is ultimately going to do right now. But we're just looking through a little pinhole. We just see a little bit of it, right? We, we've become born again. God has put his spirit within us and we, we're redeemed and we're forgiven. We're like, praise God. That's why if you're new here, I'm sorry, we get a little crazy at worship. We lift our hands because we're excited about what God has done in our hearts. He's changed us and it's all about Jesus. It's not me. It's him who's changed me from the inside out and he's forgiven us. And that's something that we should get excited about. Right? Amen? So, so, but, but, but it's just a glimpse of what eventually is going to come. So at the end, if you read the book of Revelation, God's going to make all the things that were broken, he's going to make them right again. And he's going to restore it to what it used to be at the beginning. That's what we have to look forward to. God is working all things for his good. Because he's a good God. We may not see it, and that's the tension That's the tension we wrestle with when we're going through life because life does stink at times because we're wrestling with this old order of things 
that is still marred by sin. But God will redeem it all one day where there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's no more tears, there's no more cancer, there's no more sickness, there's no more taxes, there's no more taxes, there's no more New York taxes. Everybody say amen, right? He's going to restore all that. God's going to pay all our taxes, amen, in Jesus' name. Okay, so... So I must see, here's the thing, if I'm going to understand this, I must see the goodness of God and knowing that he's working all things out for his good. So here's the challenging part. The challenging part is to trust our lives to give control to God when I'm going through these difficult things. And this is what, I love the words of the prophet Jeremiah when he looked around after he saw the destruction of Jerusalem. When he saw the people of Israel not serving God and God is judging them through foreign countries to bring them back to himself, he's judging them, but he's judging them for a purpose because he wants to bring them back to himself. And and Jeremiah gets this. Jeremiah gets that God hasn't given up on them. God is using the season to bring them back to himself. Listen to what he says in the book of Lamentations. And, And once again, listen to Jeremiah's words. They are raw. They're honest. He says, I remember my affliction, my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. When I remember them, my soul is downcast within me. But what does he do? He begins to speak to himself. He begins to encourage himself. He begins to preach to himself. And this is what he says. He doesn't wallow in that, but he turns. He turns that situation and he begins to look at the character of God. Not his situation, but who God is. And this is where we worship God in the midst of our heartache. We worship the character of God, that he is good and he's never changing. This is what you do. Anybody, amen. Amen out there. Okay, good. Just want to make sure you guys haven't fallen asleep. Okay. So this is what he says. He goes, I call this to my mind and therefore I have hope. He said, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Never said I had a good voice, but that's a great hymn. Great is your faithfulness. And then he says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait. I will wait. I will wait for him. And the Lord is what? He's good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Jeremiah didn't deny the situation they were in, but he called on the character of God to worship him and he reminded himself that his mercies are new every single morning to those who seek him. So at the end of chapter 1, we see some hope here in a hopeless situation. Verse 1 starts with a famine in Bethlehem and then the last verse in the chapter gives us hope. Let's, let's look at it again. In verse 22, it says, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest began. And that's what my name, Barden, means. It means harvester of barley. So I feel better about my name. It's very spiritual. I'm not kidding. Don't laugh at me. That's what my name means. Barden, Old English, harvester of barley. So right there, the barley harvest. Thank you, Jesus. My name is very spiritual, better than all your names. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Just teasing. So here we are. There's the hope. The hope is the barley harvest. It's a new beginning for them. They left with nothing, and now they're seeing the provision of God. And even though Naomi is hurting because of the horrible circumstances, God is, has not given up on her and is going to provide for her. So Ruth gave up everything to follow Naomi, and for Ruth, she will find a new life too. I love what 
Alistair Begg says here, he says, when God is at work, even hopelessness may be the doorway to fresh starts and new opportunities. So what keeps us from giving up? What keeps us from doing that? That's the question. What keeps us? We must trust the character of God over our circumstances. We trust El Shaddai over our circumstances. God is still good and will never leave us or forsake us. I remember years ago, I had an opportunity to do a hospice call. I didn't know the woman, but the hospice um, care called me and said, could you visit this woman um, just for a pastoral care visit? I said, sure, I'd love to visit her. So I go in there and minister to people um, in the last days of their life. And, you know, I, I go in there, and I go, I'm going to pray for them, hopefully encourage them. Boy, was I wrong. This woman preached to me. This woman spoke into my heart. And I remember sitting there with her, and she looked at me and she was, Pastor, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good, you know? You know, here she is in the last days of her life. She goes, let me tell you something, Pastor. I said, okay, tell me something. I need to hear something good. She goes, you know what? She goes, I know a lot of people say when they want to go to heaven, they want to see people and be reunited. She goes, that's fine, Dandy. But she goes, I want to see Jesus. She goes, that's who I'm looking for. All these years, she said, of me teaching. She taught Sunday school for 40 years. She goes, for all these years, teaching children and being in the church, all those things were great. And I'm glad. I just wanted to serve Jesus. But she goes, I can't wait to see the one that I've been serving all these years. And in her pain and in her suffering, the last days of her life, she wasn't allowing her circumstance to dictate her life. Her life was in the hands of her Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we got done. She goes, well, Pastor, can I pray for you? And I'll tell you what, she grabbed my hand and prayed one of the most powerful prayers. <laughs> never, met, never met her before, but I could see her trust in the Lord and her circumstances at the end of her life. You knew who she believed. Her roots were deep. Last night when I was just going over my notes, Jeremiah 17 kept going on in my mind. I love this passage. And I hope this speaks to you. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Here's what Jeremiah speaks to those who trust the Lord, even when drought comes their way. I hope this is a promise for you. I hope you hold on to this. But it says, blessed is the man or happy is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And here's what he's going to be like. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots by the stream. It does not fear when he comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails and never fails to bear fruit. How deep are your roots? See, the picture there is of a tumbleweed just blowing through the desert because it has no roots. It hasn't clung into the soil. It's a, it's a shrub in the desert. Jeremiah says, listen, for those who trust the Lord, their roots are deep because when times of drought come, they are not going to be uprooted because their roots are deep. 
And the way you become stronger in the Lord is allowing your roots to grow deep into the character of God. I always appreciated this quote by C.S. Lewis in his writings, A Grief Observed, when he wrote about the passing of his wife. And I love what C.S. Lewis says here. It's so good. He says, you never know how much you really believe about anything until the truth or falsehood, it's truth or falsehood, becomes a matter of life and death to you. So you never know how strong you really are in the Lord until something happens in your life. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, it's easy to say you believe a rope to be strong as long as you're just merely using it to tie a box. But then use that same rope and put it over a cliff. Are you still going to trust that rope? Well, you'll learn how much you trust that rope when you've got to dangle on that rope over a 200-foot cliff. Listen, you will discover how deep your trust is for the Lord when you walk through those seasons of drought. And I want you to know that he is there. What thing do you have to trust God with today? Listen, you might be here, you might be bitter, you might be angry, and that's okay. That's okay. But are you trusting the goodness of God? Are you trusting him with that thing today and say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you with this, even though I don't understand. I, I don't know how you're going to work this thing out, but I'm going to trust you with it. Help me to worship you and who you are and your character, even in the midst of this season of drought, in this desert I'm walking in. Allow my roots to be established in you. Let me worship you in the midst of this, that you indeed are El Shaddai, God Almighty, in the midst of this, that you will never, ever change. Isn't it amazing when we can still, even in our, even in the difficult things of life and the rawness of how we feel, are still able to raise our hands and say, God, you are still God Almighty, even in the midst of this, knowing that you will provide a barley harvest, that your provisions are still there. And what we're going to see as we continue to go for the next eight years through the book of Ruth, I'm not, I'm teasing only, <laughs> we're going to be in it for a while, but as we continue to go, and what you will see is really interesting. What you will see is, Each step of the way, God will encourage Naomi and show her, I'm here for you. So the first step was when she came into Bethlehem, there was a barley harvest. I'm going to provide for your needs right now. And then little bit by little bit, we're going to see as we go through the book, how God continually reveals himself as God Almighty, El Shaddai. I'm going to provide as she trusts him. The reason why I love the book of Ruth, it has such a great ending. (laughs) Because God is faithful and he will be faithful in your life. His mercies are new every single morning. Trust El Shaddai. He's not going to leave you. Amen? So would you pray with me? Just as we close in prayer and just whatever that thing is that you're going through, Would you trust El Shaddai today? So bow your hearts with me. Father God, we just come before you today. And God, we we just ask that even in our times where things don't make sense, that we can trust your goodness, that you're still good. 
give us deep roots to trust you that even in times of drought, we will not fail to not produce good fruit in our lives because our roots are deep in El Shaddai. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who's provided everything for us, who's met all our needs, who has provided for every spiritual need in our hearts. The thing you provided most for us is your son, Jesus. So we put our life and our trust in Christ today. And I thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So we trust you with our lives today. Whatever this thing is that we're going through, we trust you today with it, God, knowing that you are still good and that you are still faithful and that your mercies are new every morning. So we trust you with our lives. We love you. We thank you. And we just praise you, Jesus. And we give you our lives today. And it's in Christ's name we ask all these things. And it's in Christ's name we ask all these things. And all God's children said, Amen. Can we thank God for his word today? God is so faithful. Amen.